Welcome to the Motoring Podcast, your weekly discussion of motoring news. This is episode 494. Wow. Uh, on Tuesday, the 4th of October, 2022. Hello, I'm Alan. Hello, I'm Andrew. And this week, we'll be seeing how patient one company can be. We note that once again, logo designers rejoice for the continuation of the fad. And we try to remember what we were doing when we were 22. But first, we have a smidgen of follow-up, and this is a story that's even older than this podcast, which I fail to believe any stories are older than this podcast. I don't think there are any automotive stories older than us, yeah. And this is all about uh, Porsche SE has won the dismissal of a $5 billion case, which is all wrapped up in when they tried to take over VW, and in the end, VW took them over. This is coming from hedge funds who said that they lost a lot of money. They want compensation. Isn't that one of the things about being something like a hedge fund, though? You do have to take these risks. Surely you can't go off and take... This is like going along to a bookmaker. If your horse hasn't come in and then going, oh, hang on a minute, I lost. Yeah, what they're trying to say in this instance is that there were certain certain steps that Porsche should have taken. Mm-hmm. And they didn't, therefore, that's why they were exposed. But the judge said, and I'm quoting here from an Automotive News Europe article, the claims cannot be granted under no legal aspect whatsoever. (laughs) That's quite definitive, really, isn't it? Yes. Yes. But they have, funnily enough, come back, the plaintiffs, and they've said that there's no surprise because this is the way the judge has positioned himself from the very start. Uh, and also from another one of the lawyers said, the court has shown that it has misunderstood central functions of the capital markets. It's going to be appealed. It, no, it already has been. It already has been. The plaintiffs have already responded by filing more than two dozen claims to have various judges removed from the case, alleging they were biased. On top of that, Porsche SE, through which the Porsche and Peiche families hold a majority stake in VW, welcomed the ruling, funnily enough. Yes, goodness me. I would have been a bit disappointed. If they'd been disappointed in that, then I would have been a little bit worried. Anyway, new news. Yes, new news, which feels a little bit like it should have been old news, but there we go. (laughs) You'll never guess what, everyone. Geely has bought into another automotive firm. Dun, dun, dun. I know. What a surprise. <laughs> Was there a why in the day? <laughs> let's, let's let's not spend 20 minutes uh, listing off all of the various automotive brands they are invested in. But instead of that, just mention that you can now add Aston Martin to that list. They've taken nearly 8% in Aston Martin, uh, following on from the various failed acquisition bid. Way back when Aston Martin was restructuring uh, a little while ago, then they bid head-to-head against Lawrence Stroll, who ultimately uh, won through at the time. Uh, Obviously, it's not been plain sailing since then. Various Aston Martin shares have been released, all sorts of stuff like that. Uh, I noticed there's a quote in this uh, AM Online story saying that a statement issued by Stroll today, that's September the 30th, welcomes Saudi Arabia's public investment fund as an anchor shareholder adding that he would like to welcome Geely Holding, who have today announced they've become a shareholder. <laughs> that's awesome. Obviously, the intonation and, and emphasis is mine, but, but that's just kind of how I imagine the, oh, God, we'd better sort of say something about this, hadn't we? Yes, we have to officially acknowledge they exist now. 
<laughs> but in this article, what what interests me is they talk about towards the bottom of it. They talk about how Aston Martin will be developing mm. EVs and who they're going to partner up with. Now, obviously, Geely has quite a significant amount of experience, as much as most companies do these days. Yeah. They have a lot of technology that they could parachute into Aston Martin mm. quite quickly. But one of the ones that was, uh, or some of the companies that were discussed in all this, did make me worry a little bit because they talked about uh, Mercedes is obviously a, a close partner of Aston Martin's. We yeah. know that from the tech they're sharing. There is the US-based Lucid and British Vault. I would imagine they're not having many conversations with British Vault at the minute because no. they are probably worrying about can we afford another shovel or not. Yes, the Geely investment could well be an, an absolute winner from that point of view and being able to get access to batteries and stuff, but of course, not probably not from within the UK. Although, given the way that Geely is buying up EV companies, then, then possibly. Yeah, there is something clearly that Stroll doesn't like about Geely. I don't know what it is. Could it be that they're Chinese? He's pushed them back at least three times now. Remember that his main company is to do with, sorry, we're going way off cars here, but his main company is to do with precision lathes and milling machines and manufacturing machines and stuff like that, engineering machines, the kind of stuff that you could imagine Chinese companies copying quite closely. Mm. So I, I, I'm not saying Geely, by the way, I'm not saying Geely copying quite closely. No, I'm no, not just no. saying that as an allegedly type thing. But it's the kind of thing that you could imagine that he, he wouldn't necessarily want to get in bed with Chinese companies because previously they possibly tried to rip him off. As a supposition. Supposition on my yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, I'm going to take us on to the next piece of news. And this is the fact that the UK government has revealed the number of road fatalities for 2021 now. Well, incidents actually, and all the stats to do with that. But road fatalities have increased 7% year on year. Don't forget, let's all remember, because I saw this being used in other examples, 2020 was a year when not many people were on the roads. Mm, and forgot how to drive. Yes, and then forgot how to drive. There was 1,558 people losing their lives in incidents in 2021. That's up from 1,460. But that was down 11% on 2019. Mm. There was some lockdowns in 2021 as well, we need, we need to remember. One of the things that really stood out, well, there's two. First, I'll, I'll go through a, a, another better news, and that cyclist fatalities has dropped 21%. Don't forget there was a big uptick in people cycling in 2020, and that resulted in a lot of incidents, not just because people were going back to cycling, but the whole, what Alan said before, People have forgotten how to drive. Mm -hmm. That figure has dropped, although uh, casualties has increased by almost a percent. What I'm struck by, uh, and is in this Autocar article that we're linking to, is that 30% of road deaths were linked with someone not wearing a seatbelt. Yeah, and that, that was and that was the average. It was at night, it was 47%. Yeah. Who the heck isn't wearing a seatbelt these days? Well, 17 to 29-year-olds are the most likely. They're 40% of the overall figure. But you're an out... Well, you think... you. The th problem is we're applying logic. Well, yeah. And clearly logic is absent. 
if someone is not putting a seatbelt on. You see, at that age, they weren't ever, they've never been subjected to any sort of TV road safety campaigns like clunk click every trip and some of those other ones. That, that well, we don't get those anymore, do we? No. For anything? No. That's not quite true. They, they do tend to be YouTube adverts these days. Hmm. Yeah. But it puts a bit of a kibosh into the nanny state where health and safety mad type stuff. Because mm-hmm. anyway, forget that. And another thing that stood out in this article, which I do like to get on a soapbox about, is that the RAC spokesman said that they urged the government to publish its updated road safety plan, including mandating technology such as intelligent speed assisted new cars. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Don't do that. The stuff doesn't work. It is horrific. Just go and ask the question on Twitter and you will see from motoring journalists, you will see from members of the public how they talk about they don't want lane keeping assist. They don't want the automated emergency braking. They don't want this intelligent speed. It's too many false positives. It's too, too dangerous. I don't mind AEB. I'll have to, I'll have to just drive you round when I get one then and you can see. Well, how. Okay, that AEB. Uh, yeah, sorry. The um, collision avoidance saved my bum at least once. So. I like the reversing one the, the, as you're coming out of a parking mm-hmm. spot. That's very good, but you're using that at naught to naught point one mile an hour. <laughs> so it's very prescribed where it is used. Mm. Anyway, sorry. I but I, I felt that needed to be Yeah. I, I just can't on. believe that people not, not still too cool to wear their seatbelts. Yeah. Wear your seatbelts. Just wear your seatbelts. It's, it's not tricky. It doesn't it doesn't impact you in any way to put a seatbelt on. It does if you don't. Right, take us to Citroen, please, Alan. There's been a, a raft of rebranding jobs lately across uh, across car companies. Citroen is the latest. Uh, Citroen have replaced the double sort of bendy, sort of slightly soggy looking chevrons with a hark back to their sort of 1919 through 1936-ish uh, badging with the double chevron in the lips, it loses the sort of 3D-ness and shiny pseudo-chrome effect on there and goes for a completely flat shape instead. That means it allows them flexibility with color. It allows them different uses of it. It's it's cheaper to print. All sorts of stuff like that. They've also changed, by the way, and this is a bit that people aren't aren't really commenting on, they've also changed the typeface as well for something which is a, a little bit more modern and sort of in keeping with... I don't know. It's kind of in keeping with, I, I like it, but it is a bit in keeping with the whole spelling out the name across the back of the vehicle type thing. Oh, talking of which, I passed, I meant to say this to you before we came on on air, I passed a Sorento where somebody had stuck Sorento across the front of the, the lip of the bonnet. Just above the grill. That's about 40 quid in those silly, <laughs> silly stick-on things in Alfred's, isn't it? It's probably more. I don't know. It looked like it was the right typeface as well. So I don't know whether they'd gone back to a Kia dealer and said, can I have all these letters, please? <laughs> well done. You're very proud of your car. Yes. Fabulous. Good work. I'm, I'm happy. What I note when you talk about the font, by the way, is it's an evolution of the 2016 one. Hmm. But that logo, the 2016 <laughs> logo, someone went home with a lot of money considering they just made a... <laughs> The, yeah, silhouette version of the, the, 2009. the 2009 one went posterized single color. Whoa, we're done. Whoa. 
Hey, Jean-François, we have made our money this week. <laughs> Look at what, what I have sold to Citroën. <laughs> As everybody's going, they're going for flat, they're going for digital. Of course, they were going to do it. I quite like it, to be honest. I, I, think, it right. I think it looks all right. I quite good. like it in the red. <laughs> yeah, me too. Me too. And uh, yeah, I, I, I think it's it's quite an interesting one. Bit, bit of a pain for certain dealers, obviously, who are all going to have to change all the branding once again. But, but yeah, there we go. Anyway, the FCA, and we don't mean Fiat Chrysler. Yes, the Financial Conduct Authority has written to insurance to the insurance sector and said, do not, in this time of financial struggles for everyone, you have to protect customers from unnecessary, and I'm quoting here from the AM Online, Automotive Management Online article. They're quoting the FCA here by saying, protect consumers from unnecessary products or add-ons and unfair penalties. So don't be a, <clears throat> isn't it? Yes, it is. It is a shot across the bow of, uh, 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 uh. Just, just don't even think about it. Do not give the industry a bad name now. <laughs> worse name. Or worse, worse name. Worse, worse name. <laughs> they also talk that companies should work with customers if they're struggling rather than have customers reduce what they're getting coverage for, Don't mm-hmm. which will expose them potentially for even higher costs. Yeah, sometime when I'm not having to deliver training from early in the morning, uh, we will actually record uh, a podcast about about my experiences over here. Because, <laughs> uh, yeah. Anyway, curious one here. For a long, long time, you could buy basically anything in in the UK that could have been made in China, with the exception being cars didn't really happen now what we find and this was in the first half of 2022 looking at where pure electric passenger cars were built across across europe or or taking in aggregate all of the sales stroke registrations from across europe uh, and looking where those were built we find that actually now 19 percent between january and august 2022 uh, 19 percent of all the EVs sold, stroke, registered in Europe were from China. In August, it was full 20%, uh, with only Germany at 22% for August and 28%, uh, sorry, pardon me, 22% from January to August, 28% for August alone, being the only country which was with a higher percentage uh, than mm. China. Reasons for this uh, as growth companies like MG, I suppose, companies like Volvo and Polestar, building in China, Tesla. Uh, I, well, yeah, that's what I, the one I was getting to was obviously Tesla builds most of the Model Three and the Model Y. Would you buy that, or why would you buy something that looks like that? <laughs> Coming from China as well. Oh, Dacia Spring as well was another was another example that was that was quoted in this article. It's quite interesting just to see just to see this sort of semi stealth growth, I suppose. But it does tie in with our lunchtime read of last week, which we know all our listeners read. But that made it explicitly clear that the way that the Chinese government are going about things, they are effectively subsidizing their companies to sell abroad at a cheaper rate. Yes. Yes, they are. And and the other thing is that China does, it can control supply chain for the batteries and stuff. Yeah. And I don't want to get all, I don't want to get all, uh, uh, 
Don't start another world war. Conspiracy theory of world war, <laughs> warmongering. I mean, that's Andrew's job, really, on this podcast. But, you know, they can actually control. They have quicker and potent. There is the potential that they could have preferred access to raw materials and batteries and components and stuff. I did see an interesting thread on Twitter, and I can't remember who was the person involved in it, unfortunately, but they were talking about supply chain issues as in there being enough capacity to get enough cars onto mm. onto boats to get them to the rest of the world. Yeah. And that is a very big pinch point at the moment for mm-hmm. China. Yes. Yes, it is. Yes. There's also that, and then there's, there's building the desirability as well. But, you know, not that a Chinese car company has just bought an 8%, about an 8% stake in Aston Martin or anything. Also in this week's news. (laughs) Right, I'm going to take us to Westminster instead. And not not that bit of Westminster, but the Council of Westminster. And congratulations to Move Electric. Uh, I imagine you have been waiting some time to unleash this headline where you say, Westminster to brighten EV experience with 500 new lamppost chargers. I bet someone was very happy they could deploy that. Siemens has been contracted to install 500 of these ubitricity charge points in lampposts by the end of March next year, which is quite quick. I Could think. rise to a 1,000, it says further down the Move Electric article here. Yeah, they'll charge it up to 5 kilowatts, mm-hmm. so it's obviously overnight stuff, but does try to address one of the problems, which is what if you've got on-street parking, how do you charge? I, I still, I mean, I'm looking at the picture and I still feel there's the issue of cables, pavements. Ugh. A little bit, yeah. I mean, I, I used one of these in, uh, not not one of these ones in Westminster. I used one of the ones in Camden, which turned out I probably wasn't supposed to use, but pff, nobody ticketed me a while ago. It was quite good. I mean, it wasn't, obviously it wasn't quick. Uh, mm. It wasn't quick, but it put a, an extra few, an extra few miles in my m- miles in my battery, uh, whilst I was wandering around central London. The thing is that they don't add, you know, the lampposts are already close to the edge of the pavement. They don't add additional street furniture. They are very convenient. I mean, even with this five hundred, with these five hundred new ones, that should mean there's more than two thousand of these available in Westminster. It's a drop in the ocean. I know. I get it. But it's it's growing in. Uh, I I've lost the analogy. The analogy's just out the window there. But the drop <laughs> is growing bigger, or something like that. I don't know. It doesn't really make sense. I know what I'm trying to say. As London is trying to go to a car-free life, it does really feel a little bit. Are you throwing good money after bad type thing? No, because you've got to be free of a lot of cars before this is. No, 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 nah, nah, nah. Don't be silly. Okay, that just doesn't really work. Sorry. All right. I, I, I know what you. I hear what you're saying, Andrew. <laughs> Consultancy speak for you are an idiot. Let's move on. <laughs> I think. I mean, the picture there shows it. Shows it plugged into a smart for four. I think it's more that kind of. I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't, who knows what the heck London is trying to do? It's up its own bottom. Yeah, there does seem to be a, a, a lack of. Well, the trouble is that long term, what, what is it? Nine different, nine different councils in central London, all of them having different approaches to all of these things. So you can't really yeah. say London because Camden does a different thing from Westminster and has different suppliers, by the way, in different. But, but I'm just thinking the way TFL are acting or 
at the moment the Mayor of London is throwing his weight around when it comes to congestion charging, vehicle entering zones, you know, low emission zone, all that I, stuff. I, agreed. It doesn't seem to be a connection, or I worry there is no connection between the, the longer term, the medium and the short term alleged plans. Of course plans. there isn't. Of course there isn't. How dare you think that there would be? <laughs> but I think it's at least a step on the way to that journey. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's a capability. Talking of journeys, do you want to take us to the Dragonfly Hyperscooter? Yes. The new four-wheel drive Dragonfly Hyperscooter is an urban mobility supercar. It is very cool. The only trouble is it will only be urban mobility uh, if you have private land in an urban setting. Let's be completely clear about that. More so than maybe, say, to take a hypothetical example, Halfords, who sell scooters, are. They do not sell this, though, because this is far too cool. This has been actually developed in London, of all places, by a personal vehicle specialist. That's a good name, that is. Uh, called D-Fly. That's D-Fly. Uh, it's on Indiegogo, and it's been priced from £1,750. It is... What is it? It's a four-wheel scooter thing. Yeah. With And there's sort of two flavours of it. One of which has sort of relatively slick tires, and the you know all of which ten inch wheels, pneumatic rubber, all these good things. Uh, the other one is a bit wider, has slightly rougher tires, and is a bit more uh, off roady. It's a bit it's more for the dis- alpha males. It's, it it is a bit more Dakar, <laughs> okay, than the other one. Uh, but the idea is that you you steer it in the same way as you would steer it the same way as you would a two-wheel scooter uh, by which i mean it is tilt steering so you you would lean and it would lean and handle like a scooter so you lean into the corners mm-hmm. as opposed to the way something like a quad bike leans out of a corner compared to a motorbike which can put people off with quad bikes but it is essentially a quad bike version of these of the of of, of the e-scooter yeah um, i am really I like surprised it. People, yeah, I, th- I think they look great. Both of them look great. I'm very surprised that nobody's done this before now, mm-hmm. particularly as if you go with two wheels, you are constraining your potential customers quite a bit. I retweeted this uh, and said, oh, I think this is a fabulous idea. Uh, and someone who I know is less able, that was one of my followers, came back to me to say, Oh, I'd, I'd use that. I couldn't use a two-wheel one, but I could use that. That'd be mm. great. Uh, and I think it's just an un, it's a, it's a market that could be. Well, it it just opens it up to more people, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, it does. T- just quickly, urban-focused one is called the DF. The off-road is called the DFX, which is priced from two thousand one hundred pounds. Features wider fenders and hand guards. These are both really cool. I just don't get the use case right at the minute until they're actually allowed. They need to tie in with a, tri- uh, a trial, don't they? They very much do. Uh, uh, up until then, it's like a segue. It's cool, but yeah. it's a funky curiosity, if, and you sort of wish you had the space for it. It's a rich person's plaything. It is. It is. Yeah. But great idea. Great uh, idea. I love it. And it looks great, and I really want it to succeed, actually. Yep. Right, I'm going to take us to Bicester, avoiding Oxford, as we always try to. And this is the news that Arrival have finally made an electric van. Woo! Uh, but this is the first one, actually, from their Bicester 
uh, factory. And this will become, as is quoted in the Autocar article, the Delta test vehicle so that they can verify various processes, including uh, range testing and stuff like that. It's the first step for them to build what they want to do, mm-hmm. which is many vans from that place. But they've got a bit of a cash issue at the minute where they've had to pause development. They did go very, very wide in their spread of potential vehicles. And yeah. then they've had to rein it in. And sadly, that also has meant that, that they've had to reduce headcount and all sorts yeah. of terrible stuff like that. But I really hope that this is it starting. I mean, it's, I mean, the CEO s- says himself that it has been more difficult than we imagined. Making vehicles is hard. Yes. Less than 3,742. <laughs> it's all right. Six months, maybe nine. Be fine. Yeah. Yes. Yes. But that's great news that 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 something has that you know production stuff is r- starting to roll off the production line. Let's really hope this is this is the the, the start of our own. We're getting getting on with it, focusing on what they what they're hopefully good at, and getting these vans out on the road. Good on many. Good on many levels. Yeah. It's a great looking thing. I really want it to be successful. I want it to be good for for British industry as well. Yep. Absolutely. Right, do you want to take us to the all-seeing eyes? Yeah, well, this is the, probably one of the most worrying thing I've read all week. Well, yeah. Sorry about that. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> thanks, Andrew. So there's this thread. We will link to the thread on Twitter, and it is by someone who's, I don't know if this is a sort of semi-joke name or what, Inti de Cuculaire. I probably got that, made a complete mess of this. So again, uh, white hat hacker, who kind of realized that it was very easy to actually track somebody's car just using publicly available number plate data. Nothing else, only number plate data. Mm. This is almost a lunchtime read in itself. Between June and September this year, he challenged 120 car owners to track their location using their license plate. Over 100 days, he was able to track down 29% of them using different methods, also discovered how widespread it is and and that there wasn't an easy fix. I can't, it's quite complex, this one, but it, it's to do with ANPR and how easy it is to request ANPR stuff. The outcome, do have a read of the thread. It is, it's, yeah, it, it, it yeah. had me sucking through my teeth and, and I'm not Andrew, you know. Uh, I have a bit of an appreciation for these things, but I, I, you know, the tinfoil hat, God knows. But he's also created a website that will automate a GDPR request on your behalf so that you can theoretically stop this happening. Now, obviously, you can make the GDPR request and the companies have to, to respond, but whether or not they actually do anything about it is a different matter, but then they can be fined lots if they don't. That long waffle was suggesting that you do go and read the thread that will be linked in the show notes. The chap's Twitter handle is at I-N-T-I-D-C. That's I-N-T-I-D-C on Twitter. The thread starts with the words privacy scoop, and it goes on for many with illustrations, etc. Yep. Uh, Interestingly, though, at the end of it, and this was an update to when I first put this mm. in our running order. Uh, Q Park have responded. 
Few Park have, have, have ignored it. Well, they've responded by saying, we're not going to do anything about it. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, good luck with your GDPR in that one, then. They, yeah, they, 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 must, they must have just, taken some very serious legal you know, legal advice for that to be Q Park's stance. Well, even though I could say you were in this country, I could easily follow you into a Q, follow you remotely into a Q Park <laughs> car park. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, the, 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 Q park, <laughs> the car park in Park Lane, for example, is Q Park. Hmm. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Just not, it, that's very much in the ungood section of stuff yeah i'm afraid do, do have do have a little read it is a little bit alarming and of course if you're a stalker do please try not to use that for your own ends mm. did you hear that right. that was a we're not responsible for any nasty stalky people doing any nasty stalky stuff no we're not you try saying that just after 7 a.m no i'm not going to good anyway that, that draws us to the end of the first part alan it does, which means that it is Guilt Minute, that quick break in the show where we ask for a tad of financial support to keep the lights on and the hosting running. If you feel the motoring podcast is worth small consideration, every month you can become a patron. Different levels of patron include different levels of commitment from us to you, including being able to watch the show recorded live. Uh, we also have a small range, it's a slightly larger range than I think it was last week, uh, of merchandise in our spring store, from stickers to mugs and t-shirts, if you don't have any spare cash. And we completely understand that you can help us by following for free from a podcast player to receive every show as they're released, and by liking and rating the show uh, in whatever way your podcast supplier lets you. If you've done all of that, and some of you do, so thank you very much, then the last thing you can do is to recommend us to your friends or colleagues. Yep, thank you everyone who does. There are new stickers and stuff on the Spring Store, uh, round oh, ones cool. that people wanted, and then also weirdy shaped ones because the squarey rectangular ones weren't very attractive. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yes, somebody has already bought and told us. Thank you very much for that. Right, WRC News, and it was a Rally New Zealand, finally, again. It's been a while since we've been there. But this is the news that uh, Rovenpera won the rally, and therefore was crowned 2022 World Rally Champion. Uh, just brilliant. He was, on the day he won it, 22 years and one day old. The sod. <laughs> Quite. Just, I hate these things, because that's when you sort of just go, yeah, it's all right. I've got plenty of time left to do something earth-shattering. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on from that, Desperately bad news, though. Seb Ogier was second, 34.6 seconds behind, which was a great um, result for Ogier because the last time he was out, he crashed. Mm -hmm. And Ottanik was third, who was the closest rival, not very close, to uh, Rovampera. Uh, Rovampera only needed apparently fourth on the final power stage, and he decided he'd just win the race, uh, the power stage anyway. It was quite at a high attritional rally, though. There seemed to be many crashes. Yes. Uh, Evans, M Sport. Again, I feel so sorry oh. for M Sport. I just, I want to go up to Cumbria and give everybody in the factory a big hug because they have had the grimmest of grim seasons, especially after that start. Yeah. Yeah. And it started so well. It did. It feels so bad for them. Now we've got, we'll, um, there's, is it Italy left to come? I can't remember. I was going to ask you the same question, to be honest, rather than actually looking it up. I think it's, 
Italy is the next one, or is it Japan? I can't remember. I but don't know. Anyway, what we can now look forward to, which is all we've got to look forward to, really, apart from the amazing driving, is how infighty Hyundai become. Because <laughs> I can't see that one settling down neatly. No, no, me neither. Boy, if you point out that Optanic isn't a very nice teammate, doesn't the internet get very cross with you and tell you how you're an idiot? <laughs> oh, oopsie. <laughs> Right, new new car news. Let's, let's talk about some fun stuff. Coolest thing of the week, uh, as far as I was concerned, was the Citroen Ollie concept car. This is, yeah, 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 concept car, blah, blah, blah. I used to always see them at Geneva, blah, blah, blah. This, to me, is one of the most intelligent concept cars that I've seen for a long time. Yes. The Ollie is an adventure-oriented pickup. Uh, it is an adventure-oriented pickup. It's essentially got freedom doors clamshell doors on the side it has a slightly fared in uh, pickup bed at the back it has a vertical flat windscreen a little bit like a hummer it has the same bumpers at the front as at the back a bit like the ami it weighs about a uh, thousand kilos so it's incredibly light by modern standards well, it is incredibly light by modern standards it's expected if it were real and if it previewed a production vehicle, which it doesn't, Boo. it would cost around twenty about twenty five exactly. <laughs> it would cost around twenty five thousand euros. It has a forty kilowatt hour battery, so that's quite a small battery. Mm -hmm. It's a little fuel tank, everyone. Single electric motor. And yet out of that it tries to eke a two hundred and forty eight mile range. One of the things that's very cool about this is it is incredibly chunky. Yes. In a sort of, hey, Lego would have a great time building a version of this because mm. uh, it would be nice and easy. At the same time of its chunkiness and it's designed for low cost and low weight, it's also been designed with some very, very clever aerodynamics. So things like that vertical windscreen, flat windscreen, really relatively cheap easy to manufacture you worry about the aerodynamics of it well in actual fact there are ducts built in just around where the headlamps are which then duck the air up which then smooth the air which form essentially the slope to the front of the windscreen in fact it doesn't make any difference at all the whole thing is incredibly slippery mm. which is one of the things that helps it get its excellent range lots of clever clever detail designed in to this concept other things like innovative materials so stuff like the roof and the top of the bonnet now don't, don't start twitching yet andrew the roof and the top of the bonnet are made of basf composite cardboard in a sort of honeycomb format so that it's incredibly stiff incredibly light uh, incredibly recyclable uh, as well but like a trabant and what else? It's got fancy steering wheels. Yes, the bit that got, got, gets me is this section in the Autocar article about battery, uh, where it says, and I'm, I'm quoting here, a small 40 kilowatt hour pack was chosen for cost, weight, and environmental reasons, and the car was effectively designed around this. Top speed is limited to 68 miles an hour, and the 0 to 62 time was briefed to engineers in slower than terms rather than a target to beat. Ultimately, Citroen is targeting an efficiency of 6.2 miles per kilowatt hour, which uh, is almost double that of most EVs currently on the market for a range of 249 miles or 400 kilometers. I love that approach. It is the 
opposite of the ludicrous approach. Yeah. You're going range, efficiency. This essentially, the reason I was making such a big deal about all the aerodynamics is that this is an EV that's been designed for fuel efficiency. Mm. We're going to see more and more of that. Uh, and hopefully, we're going to see more and more of that and more quoting of miles per kilowatt hour or, or equivalent unit rather than the size of the battery, yep. which is, of course, essentially comparing the size of the fuel tank. Uh, smaller battery, cheaper, less environmental impact, blah, 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 blah. Knock-on effects are great. Uh, what have I missed? Uh, the only other thing I'd add obviously do read the article in the show notes dear listener but what i would add is the windscreen not only is it flat but it's not very big so it's a it's a, it reminds me a bit of um the saab hmm. but also it's sort of letterboxy in height hmm. but that has also been done not just because of the way that they've got the air to go around it but because they've reduced the amount of glazing and therefore the amount of heat that comes into a car and therefore the amount of cooling that you need to give the occupants yeah. Which then means they can use a smaller, lighter air conditioning unit. It's just the knock-on effects of all these things. It's just really... You know, if you've listened to us for any time, you know we love really clever thinking. Mm-hmm. And this appears to have had really clever thinking from the very start. It's le fourgonné cyber. Cyber. I'd, I'd take one tomorrow. Thank you. Please. Yeah, yeah it's very cool. I'd love it. I, I would happily own one of those. Anyway, another car which it not only promises to be low impact on the environment, but clean it up as it goes. Yes, more cleverness. Mm. And this is a car that has been put together, developed, concepted out by the TU Ecomotive team, which is part of TU Eindhoven in the Netherlands. And TU, I am reliably informed, stands for Technical University. And they've developed a machine called the ZEM. It's a sporty coupe that uh, will actually help clean up the air that it drives through. It's got special filter that can capture CO2. From this diver- this concept, they reckon two kilograms of CO2 over 20,000 miles of travel. Now, obviously, one car on its own is not going to clean that much. But if you use that technology in all the cars mm-hmm. or all the road transport, buses, lorries, everything, then this actually starts to help a lot. Mm-hmm. It's 10 cars per tree, it seems, which is quite an interesting new way of measuring the efficiency of this stuff, isn't it? The number of vehicles per <laughs> yes. tree. How many whales? <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's a tr- how far is it from Barcelona? How many, how many trips to Barcelona will you clean up? <laughs> it's a tree, the area of Belgium. Yes. <laughs> But I think it's a really clever idea, and it's great to see that this sort of stuff's being explored and being trialled out. It's great. I am reminded by the looks of this of the, I can't remember the, how you pronounce the name properly, but the Donkvorst. Don, uh, Donkenvorst. Don, yeah. I, I couldn't get it right either earlier on, so it's it's a Donkvorst or something. Yeah. 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 You know, the, everyone knows the one we mean. The Dutch one with the unpronounceable name, unsurprisingly. But the front end really reminds me of that. But it's great. Again, it's clever. It's trying to think of a way around a problem, Mm -hmm. and I like that a lot. Yep. Me too. It's kind of cool. Meanwhile, back on planet Earth, a car that you can actually (laughs) almost go out and buy, the new Maserati Gran Turismo 
Foljore, he says, taking a run up at the name because that's one of the challenges of podcasting. So this is the new Maserati Gran Turismo. It is going to be a luxury electric GT car along the lines of the Porsche Taycan and the Audi e-tron. However, it is going to be three, well, two doors and a boot hatch, I suppose. Uh, so three doors, very much electric. 560 kilowatts at the wheels, supposedly, uh, with a near 100 kilowatt battery, which should give it a range of about 280 miles or 450 kilometers. So that's just over twice the battery size of the Ollie uh, for about the same <laughs> range. Just saying, you know. However, the Maserati is promising 0 to 62 miles an hour in just 2.7 seconds if you can hold on to the wheel hard enough. And that power output of 560 kilowatts and 997 pound feet of torque, which must be a round number in metric. Either is this will ride on modular platform shared with the V6 version, and that's the same architecture used on the Gra. Oh, gee, I've just walked straight into this one. The Gracali Fogiori, Fogiori uh, which is the electric air SUV. Lots of good things. 50-50 weight distribution, low central gravity, thanks to the battery pack. And the Maserati claims that the Fulgiori sits lower than any other EV on sale today. It's a good-looking thing as well. Yes. I did read one headline somewhere, uh, again, flitted through my timeline on Twitter, that talked about Maserati pricing itself in the Ferrari range of prices, which I thought was quite a leap well, it can do that, given it's not owned by Ferrari anymore. But there's no, in this Move Electric article by Sam Phillips, gives no indication of pricing. Uh, so hard to comment on that one, I'm afraid. Mm -hmm. Oh, yes. Pricing for the Gran Turismo Fulgiore remains under wraps, but Maserati did confirm the car would arrive in the second half of 2023 after the launch of the V6 powered model. For anyone's really bored, they can count the number of different pronunciations of the same name that I used talking about that particular car. <laughs> I won't do that because you, you do a much better job at it than me. You've got far too much to do. I do, actually. Right. The next thing I have to do, though, is take us to the lunchtime, well, watch. Mm. And these are two videos from... Uh, Roads to Life, Matteo Lucato, and he's talking about the Mark One Fiat Panda and why it is a design masterpiece. When I was looking at the Ollie, I was reminded a lot of the original Panda, particularly mm -hmm. when you read some of the constraints that were thrown out at the design team mm -hmm. and the engineering team. And I think it's it's a similar sort of ethos to the original Panda. Mm -hmm. And I think it says a lot that so many of them still exist today yeah. in parts of Italy, uh, barring well, with the, the weather. The, the, the lack of rain and road salt does help. Yeah. Yes, but still, that they are still considered the right tool for the job for so many people. Mm -hmm. Do go watch that. Excellent couple of videos, and it's a Mark One Panda, so, you know, that on its own. Yep, two videos, so there's like 13, 14 minutes worth of watching there as well. Yep. Keep you busy. Right, a list of the week, please, Alan. List of the week. Good news, everyone. It's a list of the week by Major Gav. It's been a while. It's lovely to have you back. It's excellent, as you can imagine. So it is filled with wit, wonder, and things that you just weren't going to expect. But it is 14 multi-seat family estates with retro appeal. And I'll be honest, the list here looks a lot like 
my prep school car park in the late 1980s all right that, that's be let's be completely honest i mean really with the exception of some of a couple of the oldies and the american and the the spanish and american options it looks just like my prep school car park and there are many on this list actually uh so andrew do you have a particular what is there one that particularly stands out to you other than the one that your parents did actually have no, just that's the one that really just stood out to me. That's the one that stood out for you. So the Citroen CX. Uh, I have such fond memories of being in, uh, sat in the back seat of uh, Citroen CX uh, that when I came to it, I had to pick that one. There are some excellent choices uh, and options mm-hmm. here. There's, uh, there are really are. And also there's one picture that just makes me fear of rear crumple zones, which <laughs> I know is the problem for most of them, but this one really... There's, <laughs> One one picture really demonstrates that's a bad thing. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of funny because your parents had one of them. My parents had one of them, but not with seven seats as well. Yeah. Excellent, excellent list. Well done, Major Gav. Thank you. Let's have some more, please. Yes. Never mind what else you're doing. Yeah. Write us more lists, man. Right, I'm going to take us to the and finally. And finally this week, I mean, lots and lots of, of, of stuff elsewhere in the show notes this this week. But this week's and finally is, is another list, really, I suppose, yeah. almost. But it's, it's back in July on Top Gear, actually. And it's talking about Studio 434, thought to be Europe's largest private car collection, home to almost 500 cars. It's a, a phenomenal number of Lagonda, for example, which I adore, <laughs> uh, but many, many other things as well. Some of the highlights of just the eclecticism, if that's a word, of the collection. <laughs> do have a look through. Do have a bit of a read. It, it should just just fill in an extra, fill in the extra time after you've watched Matteo's Matteo's videos and reveled in his fabulous Italian accent. Yep. Awesome. I think that's us for this week, isn't it? It is. Just uh, nothing specific in the parish notes. I say the merch has been updated slightly, hopefully more coming in at some point. I'm waiting on a bunch of samples of stuff. Okay. Don't forget, everyone, that between now and next week, you can give us any feedback. Share your thoughts to the show at Motoring Podcast on Twitter and Instagram, on Facebook, and on the contact page of motoringpodcast.com, the hub of all our activities. Uh, remember, you can support us financially via Patreon, and please leave a review and rate on Apple Podcasts, or however your podcast app lets you do such a thing. Oh, I've just thought of a piece of parish notes. Go on, then. Well, I was just thinking, is it worth mentioning that in a couple of weeks then we might well be having a, a back-end reshuffle and doing technical stuff, which may mean stuff's down for a little bit. Is it worth mentioning that yet? We did tell them last week. Yes, I know. So let's do it again. Okay. A couple of weeks, we'll be changing hosting, which is big and scary thing. It's first time. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and could go horribly wrong. So over the weekend, a couple of weekends' time, then stuff will be down probably or at least a little bit messy. Do be aware of that. Sorry. Yes. Anyway, Andrew, what's the best way to get in touch with you? Best way to get in touch with me is via Twitter. If you search for Crack Windscreen, you'll find me there. And Alan, if people would like to get in touch with you personally, what's the best way for them to do that? Uh, best way is via Twitter again, where I'm at AJP Bradley, B-I-A-D-L-E-Y, because I felt like doing it like that this week. Uh, we'll be back soon, but until then, I've been Alan Bradley. I've been Andrew Clues. And safe motoring.